Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 111 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is how to design and implement an antitrust compliance program. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast and give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, the Volkoff Law Group offers antitrust compliance program services. We help clients to conduct risk assessments and implement compliance programs. We also assist companies in conducting internal investigations and enforcement defense in criminal investigations. If interested, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. So in July of 2019, uh, as everyone knows, the Justice Department's Antitrust Division adopted guidance on the evaluation of corporate compliance programs. Like the compliance, div- uh, the Criminal Division's guidance, which was earlier in uh, April and May, I'm sorry, May 1st of 2019, the Antitrust Division's guidance is organized around three critical questions. Is the compliance program well-designed? Is the compliance program being applied earnestly and in good faith? And does the compliance program actually work? The nine elements of an effective compliance program include, one, design and comprehensiveness of the program, the culture, two, the culture of compliance within the, within the company, three, responsibility for and resources dedicated to antitrust compliance, four, antitrust risk assessment techniques, Five, compliance training and communication to employees. Six, monitoring and auditing techniques. Seven, reporting mechanisms. Eight, compliance incentives and discipline. And nine, remediation methods. To focus the inquiry on criminal antitrust cases, prosecutors will ask three preliminary questions. Does the company's compliance program address and prohibit criminal antitrust violations? Two, did the antitrust compliance program detect and facilitate prompt reporting of the violation? And three, to what extent was a company's senior management involved in the violation? The antitrust division guidance is an excellent document. It focuses obviously on specific criminal antitrust conduct, meaning criminal agreements relating to price fixing, market allocation, customer allocation, bid rigging, And with this focus, the Antitrust Division's guidance tailors many of the well-known compliance elements uh, to specific risk considerations, including competitor contacts and communications, industry meetings, price changings, bid monitoring, and marketplace activities. So let's uh, start to go through what I think are the steps in terms of Um, analyzing your own program, assessing your own program, and seeing where, based upon this guidance, you might need to remediate or enhance your uh, ongoing operations. Um, So we always say that the purpose of an antitrust compliance program is to prevent and detect violations, just like any other purposes for a compliance program. Corporate management has to enforce the compliance program. And the keys really to an effective compliance 
corporate compliance program are efficiency, leadership, training and education, information, and due diligence. So let's go through uh, the compliance program elements. We've talked about those very quickly. There are nine basic uh, elements for an antitrust compliance program, uh, and this is designed towards detection and prevention of criminal uh, antitrust violations like we've talked about. Obviously, on the civil side where there are closer legal questions that may be involved, that's an issue that's handled differently and probably uh, it involves more active coordination with um, the legal shop in your company. So one, uh, we've talked about the design and comprehensiveness of the program. Your culture of compliance is to responsibility for, re for and resources dedicated to antitrust compliance. Your risk assessments, your training is fifth. Monitoring and auditing is sixth. Reporting is seventh. Compliance incentives and discipline is eighth. And remediation methods is ninth. So Let's talk about design and comprehensiveness first. In reviewing a company's antitrust compliance program, the guidance includes questions concerning the responsibility for integrating an antitrust compliance program in the business operations and company controls. And in particular, the guidance asks if the company tracks contents with com contacts with competitors, attendance at in industry and other meetings with competitors, and seeks information on whether company, the company monitors such tracking data. So, for example, uh, this, to me, calls out the need for, in the same way that you may manage your incident data or reporting uh, data that comes in for concerns, there has to be a database or some kind of reporting mechanism by which you keep track of uh, contacts with competitors, places that people are going to run into each other, or let's say there's a legal um, joint venture that you have with a competitor, that those types of issues have to be tracked, uh, and you have to track this data and make sure that you reassure yourself that these contacts have been benign in that sense. So um, some other questions that, came, that come up with regard to your program is also, um, when did you first implement it, your compliance program? Um, did you, how often do you review and update it? Is it in writing? Obviously, it should be in writing. Uh, and then how do you integrate this into your business operations? And to me, that gets at the question of when you go into a market, when you bid on a project uh, and you're going to have competitors bidding against you, or your pricing or changing, making changes in your pricing structure, uh, is there an antitrust review or component that's included in your controls? And that's really imp important. So you want to make sure that your controls are written in a sense that before somebody can raise a price or provide a discount or whatever, that you have a monitoring function where there is some notification and some sort of consultation uh, according to the controls to justify whatever actions it's taken and to make sure and ensure that there is no um, antitrust issues. So, for example, before you submit a bid or in the bid planning, compliance needs to be brought into the, the fold there to make sure that there is no 
activities in a high-risk bidding situation. Let's say there are three competitors in the market and you're one of three. In that situation, you want to make sure that you uh, gain scrutiny of that. Um, also, the, the question in terms of your design and implementation has to go to what kind of guidance are you giving to managers and employees who face antitrust risks, either in hiring, because we get into poaching risks, uh, as you all know, bid procedures or industry meetings. People have to be trained. HR has to be trained, obviously, with regard to poaching and non-poaching agree uh, agreements, which are illegal. Um, and also, what are your specific internal controls to implement your compliance program? Like I said, in terms of certain business operations, these have to be uh, designed and then enforced, and then uh, you go with those in terms of that in implementing it and tracking it. Okay. Next element is culture of compliance, and the guidance reinforces other DOJ guidance on the importance of senior leadership communications through words, but more importantly, actions that demonstrate a commitment to compliance. The division, antitrust division, has recognized that if senior management does not actively support and cultivate a culture of compliance, a company will have a paper compliance program, not an effective one. And that's an important point. Responsibility for the compliance program. The guidance reiterates, again, uh, inquiries concerning the designation of a chief compliance officer, the authority and reporting responsibilities of the chief compliance officer, and the capabilities and access to sufficient resources to execute the compliance program. So compliance must have one, sufficient autonomy and authority, and that's independence and seniority within the organization. Two, adequate resources for training, monitoring, auditing, and periodic evaluation of the program. And three, uh, sufficient autonomy from ma management, such as direct access to the board of directors or the board's audit committee. Now, again, your compliance officer can be, uh, in when it comes to, to antitrust compliance, can be your chief compliance officer, you know, your designated chief compliance officer. They can have that responsibility as well. And the questions obviously are, you want to make sure that the chief compliance officer reports to preferably the CEO and has a dotted line to the board for quarterly reporting uh, and continuing contact with the audit committee if it's going to be the audit committee that su supervises the compliance program. Then, is the compliance program sufficiently senior within the you know, organization. And the seniority test to me is whether or not the person is high enough to have a line of sight across the entire business operation. In other words, you can't just uh, bury them within legal. Uh, this is, I mean, preferably the chief compliance officer sits in the C-suite and has the ability to participate in senior management meetings and also to see across the organization uh, to gain a better understanding of the operation of the business uh, in, the need, in the risks and then the needs for compliance controls. Um, we also, in this area, uh, the department's going to look at how often your compliance chief compliance officer meets with the board or the audit committee or whatever governing body there is. Similarly, they, they have brought in, and we have to be careful about um, making sure that the compliance function 
uh, is adequately compensated, all the individuals associated with it, that they have stature within the organization, the reporting line, resources, and access to key decision makers. Um, and uh, we also want to balance. Um, I like to have people who are fully dedicated to compliance, but I know that there are some situations where people, particularly in global organizations, will use kind of ambassador programs, making people sort of uh, function as wearing a dual hat. Um, and that's okay as long as we document the reasons for that and hold those people accountable for the time they're supposed to be committed to uh, compliance. Um, Again, we want to make sure that compliance personnel are qualified and have requisite uh, expertise. We don't want to have a person who's assigned, you know, appointed as, let's say, a director, not the chief compliance officer, with no compliance experience. Uh, these people have to be people who are, um, you know, have adequate qualifications. Um, and then also the question is, who is responsible for reviewing the effectiveness of the compliance function and what is the process? So there should be some internal review process, not just reporting to the board, uh, not just having, in, if internal audit can do it, that's great. But what I find most of the times now are people are designing their own review procedure within their compliance program and may designate it two, three, four people to just go around and basically uh, uh, do reviews of the compliance program. Um, the next area is risk assessment, and the guidance suggests that companies should focus risk assessments on industries, business lines, information collection, and analyses for detecting potential misconduct, and the periodic updating of the company's risk analysis. But in this area, uh, I want to look um, and I want to provide some, what I consider, some of the relevant considerations for uh, risk. One is for a particular product, we want to look at the industry characteristics. What is the market concentration? Meaning how much of the market is controlled by how many uh, uh, participants? If you have a highly concentrated market, uh, then the ability to carry out cartel activity and the, the risk increases. So it's easier to arrange and enforce a cartel agreement on price, territory, or output the, the more concentrated the market is. That's why when we have mergers that occur, uh, there is a risk analysis as when you reduce the number of competitors in an industry, how likely is it that somebody could um, arrange and enforce a cartel agreement amongst the competitors. So market concentration is your biggest, uh, well, it's one of your biggest risk factors in my view. Two is homogeneous products, homogeneity. Okay, if you, if you all make light bulbs in the industry and there's not much difference among the light bulbs or you make paper clips or you make something that is homogeneous in nature, the uh, capacitor criminal investigation that's going on right now involves a product that's very ch cheap and looks the same for everybody. So it raises the risk that you can then uh, reach agreements among competitors because you don't have distinguishing characteristics among the products that somebody may feel is worth more uh, versus another competitor and it wouldn't be adequately taken into account in an illegal agreement situation. The third risk factor to look at in significant uh, in doing your risk assessment is collaboration among competitors. Are there joint ventures? 
joint marketing, any other relationships, ver- you know, where there's uh, the ability to uh, pr- have legal connections and contacts and yet use that to facilitate illegal agreements, like, let's say, a supply arrangement where you're a supply, you may supply uh, certain competitors and then compete against certain of the competitors. So it gets into some pretty interesting uh, configurations in the marketplace. So you have to look at that. Another risk factor is sales and pricing policies. In other words, how are these carried out? What kind of approvals are required um, for sales pricing, for who has discretion to set certain prices? Is there a review process? The more centralized that review becomes, the better in my view, because the less likely that somebody out in the field could engage in cartel-type behavior. Next risk factor is contacts with competitors. There are legitimate reasons to have contacts with competitors at industry trade associations, at other types of situations. There's an, there was a, a situation that occurred years ago where all the competitors were in a room at a, uh, at a particular trade association meeting, and one of the participants stood up and said, I'm raising my prices 5%, and everybody else uh, you know, sort of scattered and reported all of this to their compliance officers and were uh, generally freaked out, as they say. So look for industry groups and trade association meetings. Um, We've talked again about the types of agreements among competitors that are prohibited, uh, and that can also include an agreement not to enter a particular market or product line, uh, as long as it's done at the horizontal level. Uh, Training and communications, the guidance inquires as to the company's training program, the nature and extent of compliance communications, and how the company tailors its training to the proper audience based on risk considerations. Um, And so we, we look for a compliance program that is tailored to the audience and the nature of the risks with that audience. Uh, And we always look at focusing on sensitizing employees to the risks of exchanging competitively sensitive business information or future pricing information, price lists, that type of thing, and also just in general communications among competitors. Um, And we have to be careful about that, and we want people to be sensitive to that so that they report it if it occurs or there's an attempt to to have such type of uh, communications with uh, an employee. It's good to create scenarios like somebody's at a trade association meeting and a competitor approaches them and tries to talk to them about uh, certain things. Um, we want to make sure that this obviously is included in our code of conduct, the, the policy with regard to antitrust, translated, accessible to foreign employees, that we have certification, monitoring, and audits for compliance Um, And uh, we want to make sure that we also train on some of the specific risk areas that I mentioned on bids, submission of bids, pricing, uh, and most importantly, when industry trade associations get together. Um, So we want to do that as well. Periodic monitoring, review, monitoring, and auditing. The guidance asks how the company evaluates its compliance program, the nature of the compliance audits, and the existence of any screening systems for detecting potential violations based on monitoring communications. So that means looking through emails, texts, assuming 
you know, people aren't on WhatsApp where it's harder to get that. Uh, but at least email, uh, I have see, see a lot of companies doing email searches just to double check or even file audits, um, computer, uh, pro, uh, computer audits. Uh, but one of the more interesting issues raised by the department was statistical testing. There is a great deal of scholarship around the idea of testing as a way to detect uh, movements that may be parallel and may be indicative of an agreement among competitors. So that's something to look at as well. So periodic review, monitoring, and aud auditing is important and has to be incorporated uh, into the program um, and can include, uh, you know, certain types of audits, desk audits, um, employee interviews, uh Greening or monitoring of communications, like I mentioned, that's all, those are all good good things to do. For me, antitrust audits, uh, a regular audit should be done at least every two years. Um, uh, and then I also like to look at sort of what questions are coming in uh, on antitrust issues uh, to the extent uh, hopefully people keep track of those. Um, look also, in, as part of your audit process, look at the competitive landscape. Have there been changes in market operations? Did somebody enter the market? What's the pricing history? What's the market share uh, history? And what's the price stability history? Uh, obviously, there can be indications of collaborative activity, like is let's say they had an illegal agreement. Is the price agreement holding? Um, we also, in looking on people's computers, we will search for price sheets, other sort of sensitive documentations from competitors or any communications relating to that from competitors. Obviously, if you get a confidential price sheet of a competitor on somebody's computer, the question is, how did you get that? Uh, who did you get it from? So we look for contacts with competitors or uh, documents or information that reflects such a uh, thing. And then it's good to, every two years, do some interviewing of relevant sales and senior executives based upon, uh, based upon email searches. Uh, if you see information or you do word searches on emails and come up with some uh, interesting discussions or things that appear um, questionable, then that's the time to, to talk to people and interview them. So I like to also focus on trade association contacts and interviewing people about those. What happened at this meeting? What kind of, uh, did you have any contact with anybody? What was the discussion? Anything like that, uh, where that may occur. And there's, there's obviously legitimate reasons for people to be together in an industry meeting, but obviously it creates a uh, potential for uh, collaborative activity. Um, and so, for example, one one thing that I've seen uh, come up and where are high risk are sort of supplier meetings like a vendor, like we'll say or let's say a company will say, OK, we're going to have a meeting of all of our vendors and go over what our plans are. And, uh, you know, just to provide information as to, let's say, upcoming bids or upcoming type of contracts that may be available. Well, those meetings create an opportunity among the suppliers who are supposed to be competing against each other uh, to have communications and contact that may raise uh, real serious uh, antitrust issues. So those are, those are important. 
Okay, uh, reporting the guidance inquires as to the existence of an established reporting system, which is adequately monitored and permits anonymous reporting in addition to established reporting systems. Obviously, these are basic principles uh, that encourage these uh, internal reporting and uh, encourages anonymous, uh, uh, anonymous reporting as well. Uh, lastly, I wanted to look at the issue of uh, discipline and incentives and communications. Um, have employee reports and disciplinary actions been publicized? Uh, and obviously, we anonymize them to avoid privacy concerns. Uh, we, this issue is discussed in general with regard to uh, not just antitrust, but all compliance programs. And we want to make sure that we have accessible guidance and advice, and if people have issues that come up, they can get in contact with us uh, as quickly as possible, like that scenario that I gave you where a competitor stands up and says, we're raising our price tomorrow 5%, and, you know, uh, obviously is uh, encouraging people to agree to that uh, and raise their prices as well. Um, with regard to incentives and discipline, the guidance asks what incentives are in place to promote performance and conformance with compliance expectations and what disciplinary measures have been taken with respect to any antitrust policy violations. Um, so there's publicizing disciplinary actions that we've talked about um, and uh, the actual reasons for disciplining somebody for violating the antitrust policies. Um, and if they're executives who have been involved um, and uh, depending upon their level of cooperation, whether or not you guys seek leniency or not, um, the, the situation there is uh, that if you keep that person uh, and they cooperated, uh, you have to justify that. But particularly if they don't cooperate and they're culpable, uh, what would be your reason for keeping that person? Uh, and what role did they play? Um, so discipline gets really difficult when we get to sort of executives or senior managers who may have been involved in a price-fixing type conspiracy, let's say. So incentives uh, for positive compliance performance should include, obviously, our employee evaluations, compliance awards. Um, you know, we also should look at our incentives, sales incentives for compensation purposes, in that does it encourage or reward uh, potentially uh, create significant you know, incentives for uh, illegal behavior? And who is responsible for determining the compensation bonuses and discipline? So finally is how do you respond when you have a potential violation? And obviously, given the leniency program, which rewards companies for reporting to the government as quickly as possible, uh, the government, the company should make sure it responds promptly and energetically to a potential violation, initiate an immediate investigation, and report promptly to DOJ, the antitrust division. And qualifying for amnesty is a race to the Department of Justice uh, antitrust division. So then there's also remediation. Uh, and how you're going to remediate your program, aggressively discipline employees and managers responsible for violations, and then re-examine your compliance program and improve it to address deficiencies so that violations will not occur again. Well, I know there's a lot of information in there. It's definitely an issue that takes a lot of time. 
uh, a lot of focus and is worth doing because of the implications, uh, particularly if your industry has high risks for antitrust violations. This is really important to spend time on and develop uh, a robust uh, antitrust compliance program. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. And you can always contact me at my email address, mvolkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Most of the time. Most of the time I wouldn't change it if I could I can make it all match up I can hold my own I can deal with the situation Right down to the bone I can survive And I can endure And I don't even think about her most of the time most of the time my head is on straight most of the time I'm strong enough not to hate I don't build up illusion Till it makes me sick I ain't afraid of confusion No matter how thick I can smile in the face Of mankind Don't even remember What her lips felt like on mine Most of the time
Thank you. 